We'll be in Psalm 126 today. Psalm 126. There's so many psalms I really like, but as you get later on in the psalms, really starting in 119 and then going forward, there's so many short, um, just incredibly helpful psalms. So I was praying about what to preach this week, and I preached all the messages that I had uh, kind of planned for coming into the new year as we focused on our new theme, Love Thy Neighbor. And uh, so praying about what to preach going forward, that's, that's the hardest time for me when it comes to sermon prep is when I finish one either series or thought and then transitioning to a new one, uh, I always have a hard time, most of the time, have a hard time trying to figure out what to go to next and, uh, and pray and read. And, and right now we're reading through, we read through Genesis um, and just got into Job on uh, Friday, I think, if I remember right. And, uh, and, uh, and so there's, I mean, you read through Genesis and there's just so much you can go into in Genesis. Uh, but I wanted to do something a little different than what we've been reading. We'll come, we will hit on that as the year goes on. But uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, here we are. I was, I was joking with my wife. With Psalm 127 uh, talks about the quiverful uh, and, uh, and uh, children are a heritage and things like that. And I said, should I preach on the quiver uh, on Sunday? And uh, she said, no, because we don't have a quiverful. And uh, I, said, uh, I said, well, there's, it is, that's an interesting topic. You get into what does that mean. Um, and one day maybe I'll preach on it. But uh, um, my pastor used to say it was seven children. That's a quiverful. Uh, he didn't have seven children and doesn't at this point. But uh, nonetheless, I said, my quiver is small. And uh, so uh, it is what it is. But Psalm 126 is where we're, where we're going to be at. Uh, I looked at and prayed over pretty much every psalm between Psalm 119 and, and, and through. But uh, nonetheless, this is where we are today. Let's read it, then we'll pray. The Bible says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dreamed. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. And that, uh, then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south, that they sow in tears, uh, that they, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Lord, I pray that you'd help us as we look through these uh, six verses this morning, and I pray that you would help us to learn. I pray this is an encouraging passage, and so Lord, I pray that you would encourage us as well. God, may we see and, and hear what you'd have us to today, open our hearts and our minds, clear them. Uh, Lord, that we can focus on learning what you want us to learn today. Help me to present it clearly and correctly, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Relief. So this, this psalm is really about relief. Have you ever had a, an instance that you needed relief and you got it? Uh, have you ever experienced great relief in your life? I think back to proposing to Katie. Um, there was, it's funny, I, I don't know how, how you were, but for me, when I proposed, I knew she was going to say yes. I mean, how could you not say yes to this? But uh, I, knew, I knew she was going to say yes. I didn't have any doubts. that We had been dating for two years um, we had already adjusted life. Uh, she had, uh, uh, instead of finishing a four-year degree, she switched to a two-year degree so we didn't have to pay more college debt. Um, so we had already made those plans. They, you know, it was already headed that way. So I knew she was going to say yes, yet still, the entire day leading up to the proposal, I was a nervous wreck. 
I don't know why that is. Um, it, was, it was just one of those things, again, where I knew the outcome it was going to end up being good. I, I assumed that. I knew that. But yet still there was nerves. So I proposed on a Sunday. We went to church uh, in Beloit, Wisconsin. I was in college. And uh, so we drive an hour to church in Beloit, Wisconsin. And actually my wife was, or at the time, girlfriend, soon to be fiance, and now wife, was living down in Rockford, Illinois, with someone who went to the church at, in, in Beloit, and, uh, and she worked for them and everything like that. So, um, so I drove down Sunday with a group of college friends and uh, that we went together every Sunday there. And we went to church Sunday morning. Usually we would stay all afternoon there in, in Beloit. So we'd go over to someone's house that's in the church. They would feed us lunch. We would hang out and watch football or whatever was on. And, and uh, sometimes I never did homework. Some of the other kids did. And uh, those kinds of things. And then go to church Sunday night and then come back up to college Sunday night after church. So on that day, uh, the plan was, is me and Katie were going to drive back to Watertown where the college was, and me and my sister had an apartment there. And so me and my wife, after, after church Sunday morning, I was going to cook her lunch. It was our dating anniversary. Uh, and so I, so I drove her back up to Watertown, made her a fancy dinner of grilled cheese and soup, and we had rented a movie, and we were going to watch a movie and just enjoy the afternoon. And little did she know that her life was about to change for the better. And uh, so, uh, so we... <laughs> It's really not supposed to be a joke, but nonetheless. Uh, so, so we uh, uh, had lunch together. We were getting ready to watch the movie, and I said, before we watch the movie, I'd like to give you your present. And uh, she's like, can't we just do it after the movie? Said, no, no, because I was ready to get it over with. So I said, no, let's, let's do it now. So I had, I had written her a, a song, and then at the end of the song was the proposal. And, uh, and so I'm sitting there uh, shaking, trying to sing and not uh, have a squeaky voice, and, uh, and then at the same time, have the perfect timing of the last strum of the song, reach down, grab the ring, get down on one knee and propose. And, uh, and it all went uh, perfectly smooth and, uh, the, and, and all that good stuff. I got on my knee, I proposed, she was crying. She hugged me and hadn't said yes yet. She was bawling her eyes out, squeezing me. And I said, so does that mean yes? And uh, she said, yes, yes, yes. Okay, all right. So then relief came, right? It was over with. Uh, I may have been more nervous about singing than I was actually proposing, but nonetheless, uh, it was over, and I had great relief. And I'm sure we've all been at parts of our life where there have been great nervousness or concern or worry or whatever it was, and it finally was over with, and there was great relief. In this passage, the context of it, Hezekiah is the human author of this psalm, and, uh, and Hezekiah had done battle with the Assyrians and Sennacherib was the king of the Assyrians. And there had been so much war going on during this time. And this came when victory was finally theirs. And Sennacherib and the Assyrians were gone. And now there was this peace that came over the people. And the, finally a time of war was over. And now there was a time of calmness once and for all. A time of relief. And in this, we see a few things. We see a song of joy and a song of peace. And doesn't that come with relief oftentimes? When we've been, um, uh, for no lack of a better term, stressed about something, and we finally get the relief from that stress, there is a peace about it. There is that moment of, finally, I don't have to worry about that anymore. It's over with. Uh, I remember when in college as well. Uh, so when I finished college, um, before graduation, I actually walked across the platform and received a notebook that looked like a diploma, but my diploma was not inside. 
because I had not actually finished all my classes yet. So I had uh, two more classes that I had to complete before I'd get my diploma, but because I was going to be taking them in the summer, they let me walk and pretend like I was getting a diploma, which was funny because when I sat down after I received it, I looked down the row and pretty much everybody in the row was the same way as me. So that made me feel a little better. Uh, but uh, so I had these two classes left to do, but I was getting married the next week and I was going straight into work after that and we worked at the camp. And so uh, we got married and then we went down to Tennessee and we're working at the camp. Summer starts, when summer starts, it's just absolute chaos at camp because you've got 10 weeks at that time, uh, 12 and a half weeks or something like that of, of things going on at camp. And then before that, you've got all the prep getting ready for that. And so it was busy time for me. And my wife kept telling me, don't you need to finish these, these papers and get them sent in? And uh, we won't explain it all to you, but I passed. Uh, but I didn't know I passed. So I sent in the stuff and, uh, and I get a phone call. It was after summer was over. It was in August. I get a phone call from college. It says, uh, uh, my wife called me. She said, Maranatha, our college, uh, the registrar called and needs you to call her. I thought, oh, that's not good. I thought, I'm going to be like one or two credits short of graduating, and they're going to want me to take another class or whatever, and I'm going to have to figure all this out, and am I really going to want to do that, and my parents will kill me if I don't, and all this kind of stuff. So I call, and I uh, say, this is uh, Vince Stover, and then I had to correct myself, Dale Stover, because Dale's my first name. Uh, this is Dale Stover, and I got a message I need to call you guys. And she said, yes. She said, we have your diploma here. We mailed it, and it got mailed back to us. And I said, seriously? And uh, she goes, yeah, we must have sent it to the wrong address. And I meant, seriously, I passed. Uh, and so I said, well, what address do you have? She told me. And I said, oh, no, no, I don't live there anymore. Send it here. She sent it there. I got my diploma. There was relief on that phone call because I was thinking about, I'm going to have to tell my parents. I'm going to have to tell my wife's going to be so ashamed. She married a college failure. Uh, all these kinds of things. And, uh, and there was relief. And when God does things for us, when God delivers us, there is a great relief that comes. Whether it be deliverance from a sin that we've had a hard time battling with. Whether it be deliverance from, a, from a, a, an issue that we needed provision from and God provided it. Whether it be an answer that we needed that God gave us. There comes a relief and a joy that comes with it. And that's exactly what we see here in Psalm 126. So let's look at four things and we'll be done. Number one, we see the reality. In verse number one, it says, When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. That as the, 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 the deliverance of God in this situation, they felt like they were dreaming. Like, is it really real? Is it too good to be true? You ever been in that situation before? I'm in a situation like that right now. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But uh, nonetheless, I'm in a situation like that right now where I'm thinking, is this true? If it is, Hallelujah. Uh, I'm still kind of waiting to make sure the ball doesn't drop somewhere else. But nonetheless, at the moment, I'm sitting there thinking, this, is, this seems too good to be true. And oftentimes, we find situations where God answers a prayer that we've been praying, and we go, wait, wait, did that really happen? It, it, is it really true? Did it, did it really happen? And that's exactly where they are. There had been all this battle with the Assyrians, and at the moment, now there was no more battle. There was no more war. The Lord re, uh, turned again the captivity of Zion. He, he, he delivered them out of that, and they're like those that dream. There's, a, there's this mentality of, is it true? And with that deliverance comes a great joy in verse number two. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. I've, I've not been a soldier, I've not been to war. I've not been in any situation, anything like that. Um, but I can imagine the stress that goes into it 
And when it's over with, when you finally, maybe you're on deployed and when you finally get back home, the relief that I made it. Uh, my landlord is, uh, is in the guard. He's been deployed two times. Uh, um, and uh, we were talking the other night, had a great conversation. We were talking about depression and suicide within the military and, and, and what we can do to, to help with that and those sorts of things. And he was talking about just the, you know, the, the, the differences of being there and being, and being here. And, and I can imagine all that goes in. I have friends that are in the military that, are, that have been deployed or are deployed right now. And, and I know it's a relief for me just being a distant friend when they get home to know they're home and they're safe. I can only imagine what goes through their minds as well. And then these people, they've gone through war, 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 and now it's gone. And what happens? Their mouth is filled with laughter and tongue with singing. A very different mentality than what you do during war. And we see here this, this reality of, of, is it true, first of all? And then when they realize it is true, the deliverance brings great joy. You realize singing and whistling is often uh, going on when someone is happy. You ever hear somebody at work that walks in in the morning whistling and everybody looks at them like, why are you whistling? It's morning. And, uh, and, and everybody's thinking, you're really annoying. Why are you whistling? Well, I'm happy. I'm having a good day. Whatever it is, it's because there's happiness. Singing is the same thing. A lot of times people will sing when they're happy. There's very little singing that goes on when you're sad. Uh, and so, you know, at the end of, of, of ball games when they win, they sing, We Are the Champions. And they sing uh, 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 that song that they sing at the end of the basketball tournament. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, and so there's always songs, there's music, there's things going on that comes with, we, what is it? One shining moment. The players don't sing it, but they play it on TV. Anyways, it comes on in a joyful moment. It's happiness, and so there is music in the air, so to say. Uh, when people are in love, they talk about all oh, the birds are chirping, and it's a beautiful day. And you go, no, it's raining. No, it's just a gorgeous day. Don't you hear the birds singing? There's so much joy in the air. Uh, and then you say, wait till your second date. Uh, and um, I'm just kidding. There's, there's so much happiness in love. But nonetheless... Uh, there's music and singing and whistling. It's all a result of happiness. And in verse 2, that's exactly what's happening. There is songs in the air. There is singing. There is laughter. There is joy. Why? It's because the reality has hit. We have been delivered. There's been deliverance. And with that comes great joy. When God delivers us in our life, we find great joy. Many times we go through sorrow. And we pray and we ask God, I think of losing a loved one and how much pain goes into that. And we sit there and we, 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 we lose someone that we love and we pray and we say, God, I need comfort. This hurts. I need comfort. And, and although God does not bring that person back to life for us, when God provides that comfort, there is a joy in it. When God delivers us from sin, when we're battling, we're battling, we're saying, God, I, I don't seem to be getting victory over this. I need your help. And God gives us help. There is joy that goes into it. There's a peace that settles inside of us because of the deliverance. And that is the reality of God's deliverance. Number two, we see a reaction. Two reactions. First, the reaction of the wicked in, in verse number two. It says, Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The, the enemy saw a change. We talked about this last week, the change that God brings. And when God makes a change, when God uh, 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 changes a life, everyone notices from the wicked to the righteous, from the good to the evil, everyone sees the difference. And in this case, the enemy noticed 
that God, if you remember back and you can read through the Old Testament, and you'll see it in different areas of the New Testament. When God's people were being punished by God and went into captivity or were in wars and all those kinds of things, almost every single time the enemy says something along the point of their God has forgotten them or their God has abandoned them or where is your God now? Those kinds of things. And the, the, the enemy sees that. And they see that these people are not being currently protected by God. That's what it appears there God is angry at them. Whatever it is, it's noticed. Then when God comes around and delivers them, the enemy notices that too. All of a sudden, we've been able to, to mow over these people for years and have had zero resistance and zero issues. And all of a sudden, one day like this, it changes and they're gone. There's, uh, uh, I think it's in, oh, I forget where, uh, but it talks about the Assyrians basically in a field of dry bones because they have been destroyed. And it happens instantly. And you see it, you look at Gideon's story. Gideon's story where there's this massive army that Gideon's army has no chance against. And Gideon's army didn't even have to get their hands dirty. <laughs> the enemy killed themselves, stabbing each other in mass chaos. And all of a sudden there's a field of, of dead enemy laying there just like that. It happens. God's deliverance. When God is delivering, when God is working, people take notice. And here, as, it, as the terminology that's used in this passage, the heathen uh, understood this, and they said, the Lord hath done great things for them. You know what I find, though? A lot of times the heathen see that God's done great things for us, but we don't acknowledge it. A lot of times the lost world will go, boy, God, that, that person's God has really taken care of them. That person's God is really being good to them, and yet we're walking around with pride in our lives thinking, look at me, I'm something special. But here we see the reaction of the wicked. Uh, you think of the, the example, this is the non-biblical example, I seem to be using a lot of those today. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, you remember Ebenezer Scrooge? He was a grumpy man, uh, he was miserable, he was mean, he was angry. And then something changed. He saw three ghosts and scared them, scared them straight. And, and all of a sudden, he's, he's giving little Timmy a, a nice big turkey and, and all these kinds of things. And there's this the obvious, and everybody's going, what happened to Ebenezer Scrooge? Why is he nice all of a sudden? Uh, you know, I know it's not spiritual, but the same is true in the Christian life. Where we live a life that is self-centered, where we live a life that is prideful, where we live a life that is sinful, and God does a change in our life, and now things change and people take notice. And they're saying, why is that person who was always mean to me nice to me? Why is that person who never talked to me now talks to me? Why is that person who was always grumpy now happy? Why are they whistling in the morning? Uh, those kinds of things that all come into it as well. People will take notice of the change that God makes in your life. Then the other uh, reaction is from God's children, verse number 3. It says, the Lord hath done great things for us. Whereof we are glad. So you see the heathen say the Lord hath done great things for them. God's children say the Lord hath done great things for us. What has God done for you? Salvation saved us. If you've been saved. Provisions for needs that we have. I can tell you story after story of times where we, we knew there was no way that we could possibly get what we needed. And only God could. And we prayed and God provided well, I've never been the person who receives a check in the mail for a million dollars, like you hear people talking about out of nowhere, but I've always been the person who has always had what I've needed. 
and God has always provided for me and for my family and, and many times over. I answered prayers, times, and that goes in with provisions, but other things as well. Uh, prayers that we've prayed that God has answered uh, that we can see clearly. Uh, relationships that God has placed in my life, that's something God's done for me. God gave me the parents that He gave me. And God provided a spouse for me. God provided children for me. God provided friends for me. God provided mentors for me. All this God did for me, and I notice and I give Him glory for it. God has done so much in my life. Deliverance over and over again from all kinds of different things. From temptation, from sin, from fear, from uh, uh, um, areas where I needed wisdom and didn't think I had it. As a matter of fact, I didn't. And I prayed and God gave it to me and delivered me out of that uh, circumstance. You see, we have to understand uh, God has done so much in our life and our reaction should be the Lord has done great things for us. It's natural for a human to be pessimistic um, where we look and we go, well, God didn't do this for me and God didn't do this for me and God didn't do this for me. But God has done great things for you. And if we're going to focus on all the bad things that happen in life, we're sure going to miss out on all the good things that God's doing for us. Because God is doing good things for us. And many times we miss them because we're focused on the negatives in life instead of on the things that God is doing for us. Uh, you look at, at life and what it, what it throws at you on a daily basis, right? On a daily basis. From sickness to, uh, I, I'm dealing with customers on a regular basis, and uh, there are some where I'm just going, what is your problem? <laughs> like, I'm a human being. You can talk to me like one if you'd like to. Um, it's okay. Uh, you know, I, I work in a field where professionals train and get licensed and, and work killing, killing bugs. It sounds like an easy job, and it is relatively easy. But uh, uh, I have people, you show up to their house, and they say, I've got this bug, and here's everything. And they give me this long story about this bug that they got off of Google. And I, I just sometimes want to ask, uh, why did you call me? If you know how to take care of the problem, then go take care of the problem. Um, and usually what it is is that's actually not the problem. The problem's over here or over here. It needs to be handled this way and, and so on and so forth. And you've probably seen that in your own profession as well, where you've got people who, now that we have the Internet, can Google and tell you everything. That's the worst thing to do, by the way, if you're having a, a, a health issue. Don't Google it. Go talk to the doctor. Um, you know, it's... Worst case scenario, all the times on Google. Uh, it's a dangerous thing to do. Nowadays, uh, not everybody has this, but nowadays you can usually call or get a video chat with a doctor and get it handled very quickly. Um, those sorts of things. Be smart. Uh, but nonetheless, think about this. Um, when we need some, a professional, we call a professional, right? When we need a professional, we call a professional. And so even though, I mean, there are things you can do online. I can, I've fixed my dryer by YouTubing my dryer and saw, oh, I can save hundreds of dollars and buy this little piece and just change it out and we're good. Uh, I'm, I'm getting ready to fix my washer, same way. I've already YouTubed it, seen how to do it. Uh, where the first time I changed my oil in my vehicle by myself, I pulled up on YouTube, typed in the year of my vehicle, make and model, it showed me everything. I mean, a video of everything. This is where the drain plug is, and this is where you pour this in, and this is how you change out the filter. I grew up, I didn't ever have to do that stuff on my own. I always just paid for it to get done, and then I realized, hey, I could save some money and do this myself. And, uh, and sure enough, look, I can do that. Those are things that we can do, but there are often times where we need a professional, and so we call a professional. 
But think about this in your spiritual life. How many times do you try to do things on your own or with the help of Google when you should be talking to God about it? Because God has done great things in our life, Google has not. Google is a wonderful invention. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it's around. I use it often. As a matter of fact, I used it this morning during the last song to look up the composer of the song that we sang. Because uh, I was like, I know that name. So I pulled up my, I shouldn't do that. Pulled up my phone real quick, Googled it. Okay, yeah, he's the one that did Jesus Loves Me. Okay, that makes sense. All right, uh, so uh, that's a good thing. I, I like Google. I'm all for Google. But when we need a professional, go to the professional. Go to the Bible. Because God can do great things in your life that Google and no person can do for you. God can do it. And we look at this passage and we see people who had been uh, in need of deliverance and God delivered them and they understood God, the Lord, had done great things for us. And again comes that joy whereof we are glad. Understand, comprehend, realize what God has done for you. Sometimes it takes thought. Not that it's hard to find, but it takes us taking a moment to set aside some time to say, what has God done for me? For us to realize, God has done so much for me. Think of Paul and Silas. They're in prison singing away. And they weren't singing, nobody knows. There's another non-spiritual reference for you today. Uh, man, it's just, wow. Uh, <laughs> But Paul and Silas were singing. Why? Because they said God's done great stuff for us. And I don't think they necessarily knew what was coming, but they could look back and say, God's done so much for us. Let's sing praises to Him. Next thing you know, an earthquake comes and their shackles are free. And then following that comes an opportunity with the gospel. With one person. Then it leads to his family. God's done great stuff for us. Don't forget it. Have that reaction. Understand it and, and think on that. Number one, the reality. Number two, the reaction. Number three, the request. Verse number four, a request comes. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. I've looked at different thoughts on these verse, this verse in particular, and I believe this is, this is a prayer for revival. Some would say it's a, it's a literal asking for um, uh, the land to be replenished. It was somewhat desolate at the time and the need for watered uh, crops so that they could grow food and things of that nature. And I believe that could very well be as well. But I believe it's much deeper than that and the idea of the need for spiritual uh, uh, reawakening, for spiritual revival. The streams of the south oftentimes would come very heavy during a certain season. It would be a flood effect that you hear about oftentimes uh, before the invention of running water, uh, where they would be close to the streams and the rivers because they would flood and, and, and water the ground uh, greatly. And then as the water receded, they could plant and it would be very fertile for them to grow things. This idea of a gushing water and the gushing need for revival to come back on our people. We have been beaten, we have been bruised, we have been going through war, we've been going through all these things. And now, as we see your provision for us, God, we need a spiritual revival. We need it to come back. There's the song, Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. We have a great need in our country today 
for revival. And we'll see the reply here in just a moment. But James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When it comes to revival, step one is a submission to God. If I'm not willing to do what God's going to tell me to do, then what's the point of asking for revival? It's not going to happen. If I'm going to ask for revival, I have to be willing to obey what God tells me to do. And that's what we come to. The lastly today, number four, the reply of God. So the request is, send us revival. The reply is, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weeping, uh, weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Revival is a, a word that we use in church. If you grew up in church, you've heard it from the first day you were in church. Revival, revival, revival. We need revival. We're having revival meetings. All these sorts of things. Revival doesn't just happen. Revival is a result of prayer and obedience. Without it, you're not going to have revival. If you study the great revivals throughout history, both in Europe and in America, you will see that they started with two people praying. They started with people meeting in a room and praying and asking God to pour down revival on them. And it sparked from that. Uh, I didn't look up the story today, but in, uh, you may have heard it before too, uh, where, where they started with a prayer meeting of a few people, and they got in a room and it grew to eight people and it grew. And before long, there wasn't room in the, anymore to, to meet there and pray, so they moved to a different place. And the next thing you know, throughout the city, all throughout the city, there were people meeting and praying at a certain time of the night. And oftentimes, we think, when we hear the word revival, we think a week-long meeting with an evangelist, and I'm all for those, uh, but uh, with an evangelist preaching, and we come, we come uh, uh, Sunday through Friday, or Sunday through Wednesday, or Sunday through Sunday, or whatever it is, and we sit in meetings every night, and, uh, and we, we're at the end of the week, we're tired, and, uh, and, and uh, we're sure thankful that that person helped us out for the week, and then a week later, we forget what he even preached on. That's not revival. Revival is a change. It's a reviving. It's a bringing back to life. It's a reawakening. And with this, it doesn't come, it doesn't, just doesn't appear, because we've been praying for revival for, for years and years and years. People have been saying, I'm praying for revival, our country needs revival, we need revival, and yet we haven't seen it. Prayer, uh, revival doesn't just happen, it, it comes by prayer and obedience. And that's what God says here, look in verse number 5, uh, uh, they that sow in tears reap in joy. He that goeth forth weepeth and weepeth, Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Weep if there's a time for weeping. Do you weep? Do you weep for lost souls? Do you weep for your neighbor? Do you weep for your family members? I'm not talking about that you have to shed a tear. All right. I'm not saying that if you don't cry, you're not sincere. That's not what I'm saying. The point is there's, there's care, there's passion, there's a burden for people. Do you care? Do you care that we don't have revival in our country? Do you care that your co-worker's going to hell? Do you care that your neighbor's going to hell? Do you care that your relative's going to hell? Do you weep over that? Do you, do you go to God over that and say, God, these people that I love, they're going to hell and I want to see them saved. God, save them. We would all agree that our country's a mess. <laughs> it is an utter and complete mess. And it has been for a long time. And we would all agree that our country needs revival, but the question is, is do we care or are we apathetic about it? 
Do we say the words our country needs revival and do we ever pray and beg God for it? Do we ever do the things in our life that God says will result in it? Do you care? There's a time for weeping. And then number two, there's a time for reaping. Verse number six again says that he that goeth forth weep and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. There's a process. There's a sowing, there's a watering, and there's a reaping. We sow with the Scriptures. We've talked about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. It's getting the Gospel out. It's, it's passing out a track. It's having a conversation. It's sharing the Gospel with someone. That's the seed that's going down. We water it in prayer. We water it by, by the weeping with the tears. God, here's the seed that I've planted. Here's the seed that I've given to this person. God, use it. Uh, uh, develop it in their heart. Grow it in their heart. Lord, may they see the need that they have for salvation. God, would you save them? We also water it by going back and having a second conversation with that person. We've talked about this. Hey, did you read the track I gave you? you have any questions about it? Did you understand it? Here's a different one. <laughs> if you've got another one. Here's another there's a different one I want you to read. Says the same thing, don't tell them that. Says the same thing, just in a different way. Or watering, praying, talking, having more conversations. And then there's reaping. You can't reap what's not been sown. Right? You reap what you sow. You can't reap what's not been sown. You can't go out to a field and go, why is there no corn here? When you haven't planted any corn. Now, granted, in my garden, I still walk out and go, why is there not any corn here? <laughs> and you know what? That's true in the spiritual life as well. There are times where the seed gets planted and we go and we say, I came to reap it and there's nothing to reap. The seed didn't take. Not everybody we share the gospel was going to be saved. Not everyone we, we, we implore with the gospel is going to say, yeah, I need that. Yeah, I accept that. Yeah, I believe that. It's not going to happen. But what God does say is that if you'll go weeping, praying, burden for people, and you'll go give the precious seed to them, there will be a time where you will rejoice in the reaping. It may not be with that person. But if you'll be faithful to spread the seed and to be burdened over it, God says, I will give you something to reap. I will give you fruit for it. An important phrase in verse number six, the second or the third and fourth word, he that goeth forth. We talked about this with the Great Commission, but we've got to go. If we sit on our couch or our chair or our vehicle or our church and don't go, if we're not planting seed, if we're not sharing the gospel, nothing's going to happen. So he that goeth forth, he that weepeth, he that bears precious seed, that person shall doubtless come again rejoicing as he brings in the sheaves. There will be a harvest. Go. Care. Be burdened. You have to ask God for this burden. There, there are people who are more compassionate than other people naturally. There are people who just naturally are kinder, naturally are, are softer in a good sense than other people. 
people who have a personality that's more friendly and outgoing and, and talk to anybody kind of a, a kind of a person than other people. But, but the Bible says that you need, if you're not going to weep, you're not going to reward. You're not going to reap if you don't weep. Again, I'm not talking specifically, literally tears, but the burden. And oftentimes there are tears with it. If we love someone, I'm thinking specifically of a close friend, uh, a family member, and we sit there and we go, God, they're still lost as lost can be. God, they're still on their way to hell. God, I've shared with them the gospel. They know the truth. They've been told the truth. But God, they've yet to receive it. Lord, would you please open their heart? Lord, would you please open their eyes? Lord, would you please help them see the need before it's too late? I have cried over family members. I've cried over friends. We have cried over people who've died. And we say, God, we gave them the seed. And as far as we know, they never accepted it. That's hard. But we care. Too often times we say, God, we need revival, but I'm not going to do anything. God, we need revival, but please don't ask me to to take some some more time out of my schedule to to do something about it. God, we need revival. Boy, I sure hate that politician. You say we need revival, but you don't care. We go forth. We bear the precious seed. We weep. Go care then reap the harvest that God gives. You will never save someone. Please remember that. You will never save someone. It's not your job to save someone. God saves. But we plant the seed. And we water the seed. And then we wait for God to give us the harvest. Psalm 126 is a psalm of relief. They had been in war, they had been in turmoil, and now the captivity had been turned. And so now there was joy and there was relief. And then there was a request that asked for a, 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 a shower of revival. And the response is still one of relief. If you'll care, if you'll have a burden for people, and if you'll do your part, if you'll obey and you'll share the gospel with people, there's going to be great relief that comes with that too, because you're going to come rejoicing bringing in the sheaves. There's going to be a harvest, and I'll tell you, there's no greater relief than when you've been praying for someone to be saved and they get saved. I remember my uh, in-laws, my wife's grandparents um, were lost, and uh, her grandmother was dying, and her dad uh, was there with her in the hospital and was sharing with her the gospel again as they had done many times before. She could not speak, but she could respond with a hand. From every inclination that we can see, she got saved there in the hospital before she passed. The joy, the relief. Katie's grandfather was still alive, still lost as could be. He was a drunk for most of his life. He was kind. He was funny. And he was a drunk. As he was dying, again, 
My father-in-law and a friend from his church were there with him. From everything we can tell, he accepted salvation. Relief. I'm not going to lie, it's not that there wasn't ever a question of, well, was the squeeze of the hand the sign that, that they did understand and that they did receive Christ? Or was it just a natural reaction? You know, it, sure, there's that, that creeps in. But we choose the relief that God has offered, the peace that God has offered, with the expectation that in heaven we'll see them. Just this week, across my timeline on Facebook, came a post that I made the last time I talked to my grandmother. My grandmother saved, and uh, as long as I've known her, She had cancer, and I called her because I hadn't talked to her for a while, and I just said, I want to encourage my grandmother. You know, I hung up the phone with her, and I thought, she did all the encouraging. I couldn't do it. I was trying to. I was trying to, you know, how you feeling? And, and we talked about memories and things like that, and she just kept saying, you know, Vince, just be faithful and just do what you're supposed to do, and... And uh, we had a great conversation. I didn't know it was the last time I talked to her. I got to talk to her before she passed, but she was not able to respond at that time. So it was the last time that we had a conversation. And every time, every year, it pops up on my Facebook page. I just, it's relief for me, a reminder that because of what God did in my life and because of what God did in her life, we're going to spend eternity together. Heaven is mostly, if not all, about God. But it is a relief to know that there are relatives that I love that are in heaven. And it is a burden to know that there are relatives that I love that are on this earth that currently are on their way to hell. And may we have a burden and a care for people. May we go weeping, bearing precious seed, so that we can come again rejoicing with the sheaves that we are able to harvest by God's grace and with God's help. Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Our world today is not a world of love. It's a world of division. It is a world of, of competition. It is a world of pride. And that makes it hard oftentimes for us to love people the way that we're supposed to. But God, we would all agree that our nation and our world needs revival. The question comes back to, are we willing to do what it takes to see revival in our lifetime? And you make it very clear to us what we need to do in order to see revival. So Lord, would you help us to go? Go to the people in our lives. Go to our family members and go to our friends and our neighbors and our co-workers. Lord, would you help us to be faithful to go? But not just go, Lord, would you, help be, would you give us the burden that we need for people? May we truly comprehend that there are people that we see every day that are going to hell. And God, may that hit us. Lord, may we weep over this. May we have a burden for the need that is in front of us. And then, God, as you say, the harvest will come. 
And Lord, may we never look at it and go, boy, I've done something great. But God, as your people and your enemies have seen over and over again, the Lord hath done a great thing. God, may we rejoice and give you the glory for the harvest that is to come. God, we have names on our prayer list. We have people that we've discussed, um, that we know that we've been praying for. God, I pray that you would again help us to be faithful. And we not expect other people to do the work for us, but God, may we go and do as you've said. For revival does not come on its own. It comes through prayer and obedience. God, help us to see the great things you've done in our life. Help us to not take for granted the great things you've done in our life. And may we praise you for it. God, we look forward to, to reaping this harvest. This year is a year that we are focusing on the, our neighbors. And God, as we go and as we weep, God, we pray that you would give us a harvest or that we can rejoice with you over souls saved and lives changed. So help us, I do pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, we got, we got off track a couple times in that one and some examples that maybe a pastor shouldn't use, but nonetheless, we got... <laughs>